Hey, TCBs, this is Ashley. And Amanda. And this is Allegedly. Season two, baby! Are you excited? Can you believe we've made it to season like two? You were gonna poop, baby! I'm <laughs> <laughs> like anything about it. I was really worried for a hot second. But we're back in the bathroom. We're always back in the bathroom, just in case. Um, yeah, nothing's changed about that. Nope. But uh, we had a we had a good we had a good start to the new year, sort of. I mean, we're back here later than we expected, but yeah, it's fine. Life gets in the way sometimes, y'all. Yeah, sometimes it just. You know, it's like, it's like shit happens, but life happens. Yeah. Life. It's just. Shitty life. It was happening all over the place. Yeah. But we are. We're back. I'm excited. Are you excited? Yes. Awesome sauce. So I know that I had said that I was going to start integrating local cases. I'm so glad you're doing hand gestures for me to understand what you're talking about. You know, I'm always, (laughs) I'm always directing the planes. You know, <laughs> did you see that one TikTok where that flight attendant lady was like on the runway with her orange flag yeah. and then the plane's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> flopping all around. Absolutely. It's like a fish out of water yes. situation. Yes. Yeah. So I am starting 2023 with a case that is semi-local to us. I don't know what you consider local and what others consider local. So for those listening... What do you consider local? So we're in Binghamton, which is right pretty much on the border of PA. So I would consider just over the border, local to us in Binghamton, not local to where you're from, Amanda. Right. That's going to be different. You, yeah. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. hometown situation yeah, yeah. for you. Um, so I would consider like right over the border. Yeah, I would. Um like uh, probably Great Bend, PA, Halstead, yeah. things like yes. that. Yes, yes. Um, however, Susquehanna. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. However, I also kind of consider the Syracuse area local to us too. I do as well. Um, we go there all the time. We, yeah, and if like here in Binghamton, if we don't have a certain type of pediatric doctor, we yeah. have to go to Syracuse. Right. So. Right. So. That's kind. Of, I mean, I don't consider New York City local to us. That's no, three that and a half hours its away. Own state. It really should be. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of using this as like a stepping stone to the new world of local cases. That's a great story. Can we talk about murder? So, 73 miles from where we are here in Binghamton uh, is a much well-known city, Syracuse. And I'm sure most people have heard about Syracuse. Absolutely. Um, Just a mere 9.8 miles southwest from there is Fayetteville, New York. Oh, yeah. So, think of Syracuse as, like, the main city, like it is. Um, while all these little towns are also, like, part of it. like Yeah, like the outskirts. Like Auburn is part of yeah. it, Fayetteville. So, speaking of Auburn, New York, fun fact story before we get into our case. I have a little story. Go figure. Um, 
A big name in the true crime world is John Walsh. You know who John Walsh is? Yeah, uh, Rescue 911? Nope. <laughs> no? Isn't he the one whose kid got uh, yeah, kidnapped? Not, yeah, that's not Rescue 911. What is it? Unsolved? Nope. <laughs> What's it called? America's Most Wanted. Oh, for some reason, I thought it was called Rescue 911. No, there is that too. But the there John, is? Yeah, Rescue 911 was the one where um, the little girl got stuck in the well, and they showed that in, like, the opening intro for it. That was in Texas. <gasps> You're right. I remember watching that. This is why I thought that's who. who the, yep. Um, when I was younger, I had nightmares watching that show. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think we actually brought this up on another episode last did. season. Yeah. Um, and because I lived in Texas and little Jessica was about my age. And I remember my parents were like freaking out. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's crazy. But, but no. John Walsh is the one who whose um, child got yes abducted. And, yep. Yeah. And I'll bring okay. I'll bring that up in just a second. So yeah, he's from America's Most Wanted. He's the host. Um, so you may know him from his own true crime case when his son Adam went missing in 1981 from a Sears store in Hollywood, Florida, and then later found brutally murdered. Um, others who are not true crime fanatics know him as the host of America's Most Wanted. As a teen, I watched that show religiously. Religiously. I did. did. So at the time, I actually lived in my grandparents' home. Okay? The one you showed me? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, It's actually the one that is on my book called Snedeker. Yes. So I was helping taking care of my grandmother after my grandfather passed. Um, It was an old home. But I'm going to try to, like, lay out the view for you, okay? So try to stay with me. Okay. The first thing you need to know is that it's in the middle of nowhere, okay? Like, True that. literally, fields nowhere. surrounding my home. My grandparents owned 86 acres. It's a lot. Yeah. Well, he was, like, very big into hunting. We had, like, a whole campsite thing. It, there was a lot. Uh, so my ride to school on the bus was, like, an hour long. Um, not because I lived an hour from the school, but when you're doing, like, country pickups, oh, yeah, it it's forever. So the neighbors were like a quarterish mile up the street. That's the neighbors, you know. They, yeah. So we were in the middle of nowhere. Um, so back in the day, long before I was even thought of, my grandfather built a ladder onto the siding of the house, like out of like two by fours, like like an escape ladder kind of. Yeah. Okay. Be- because to get to the second floor in case of a fire. Um, so this was at the back of the home. All right. So on the back of it. And it led to the window at the top of the stairs. The second thing you need to know is that at the top of these stairs, directly in front of you was the window. So if you're standing at the top step, window's right in front of you. To the left, there's like a little like loft area. It wasn't a bedroom or anything. It was just a little loft area. It had a decent amount of space. There was like a toy box there. The kids' stuff would be there to play with. There was enough room to play. And then it led to my grandmother's bedroom. Okay. To the right was a bedroom. You're so confused about this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I say it like that because it didn't have a door. It didn't have a closet. And it didn't have a window, which generally. Was it a dungeon? (laughs) (laughs) It usually dictates what a bedroom is. Yeah. Um. At the time, 
that I lived there, it was actually my bedroom at one point. Um, and from what I hear, it was actually the bedroom of multiple people before me, like the person who raised me or Aunt Tammy. Um, it's it's small. It was maybe about this size of our of your bathroom. Maybe your bathroom is just a little bit smaller or a little bit bigger uh, lengthwise. Um, it was small. So regardless, when I had it as my bedroom, I actually had a blanket put up as a door, tacked up. Um, and then I would pull like just, you know, the corner of it so that it would open if I wanted it to open yeah. and tack it in. I did have a, like a 13 inch TV and that's where I watched America's Most Wanted. And I remember John Walsh telling stories of murderers or what have you. And he would say things like, we are still searching for so-and-so tonight. You thought those people were climbing up that damn ladder, didn't you? I did. My eyes would bulge out of my head. Thing. And I'm like freaking out because the window is right there. And I'm like looking at it. Like they're out here in the middle of... Binghamton. Wherever you were. Out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And I'm just like... Yeah, they're not in your field. Yeah, exactly not. (laughs) What does that have to do with Auburn? Oh, John Walsh was born in Auburn. Born and raised. (laughs) Yeah, so that's, I did not know that he was from so close to us. Well, how'd he get to Florida? How how did he end up in Florida? Oh, we're going to do this. Okay, uh, so he actually went to school in Buffalo, graduated from Buffalo University, um, he met his wife, and they ended up moving to Florida. Oh, okay. Got you. So, but speaking of DeWitt and Fayetteville, let's get into today's case, shall we? Shall we? Did you like that? DeWitt? DeWitt. Uh, before we begin, though, I do want to say that I read a book, and this was my main source for today's case. The names that I'm using for the victims in this case are from the book. Um, and from my research, it kind of seems like a lot of the victims wanted to stay anonymous. Oh, okay. Um, so some of the names we may not, they name, may not be the real names. Um, so please, 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 if you, if you're listening and you're like, that's not her name, do not email me. Um, I, I understand. Um, actually there's other, uh, podcasts that have covered this very rare ones, um, Source to source, it's different names. Some sources don't give any names. They just number them. Um, I'm just going by the book, okay, because I've read the book. So let's just keep it with easy, go with the book. In other words, we're aware these are not the actual names. They very well could be, but well, I don't know. Be. Right. I don't know. So we're aware. So we are just going to go with what the book said. So John Thomas Jamelski. What now? John Thomas Jamelski. Okay, that's a mouthful. (laughs) He was born in DeWitt, New York on May 9th, 1935 to parents Wanda and John Sr. So he's a junior. Oh, okay. The area at the time, it was super rural. It was. Tons of farms. Definitely not what it is today. No. Um, and I think that's, we can say that just about anywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. The Jamelski family finally bought a home and some land at 7070 Highbridge Road in DeWitt. The road is also known as State Route 92. Okay. And it's a very busy road because it literally is a straight shot right into Syracuse. You don't really have to turn at all. So the home at Highbridge Road will actually become important later. Um, John Sr. was, like, a thrifty man. 
You know, like he was super thrifty. He was he was a frugal man. Okay, I was just gonna say you mean fr- like like frugal. Yeah. Okay. So he was a watchmaker by trade. Oh, I know that's fancy, isn't it? That I never super fancy. I know because now we have everything done by factories. Yeah, <laughs> so that's interesting. But he not only like collected clocks, but he repaired them as well. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, and for more income, the family grew berries and vegetables that they would like randomly sell to people just passing by their farm. Hold on, wait! I got berries. Come back. <laughs> yeah, essentially. <laughs> That's that's what I figured. But I also look at it like if we drive to Ithaca, you see those little farm stand roads right, but next to people's houses. They had a stand. Oh, no, I don't think they did. <laughs> so they were I think they flagged people car. down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Yeah. Nice. So when John Jr. began high school, he was actually very quiet and withdrawn and rarely even like ever spoke. Not, because, not because he couldn't speak. He just didn't. But he was not, like, reaching for the stars academically as well, either. Uh, He did not like history class, and he strongly disliked math. Or no, he did like history, but he disliked math, like, with a passion. Hated it. Huh. Um, And he very much stayed away from sports. Oh, we would not get along. No, you would not. So a former classmate actually said, he wasn't much to talk. You'd say hello. And that was the end of the conversation. He <laughs> wouldn't even say hello back. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder if, like, John just wanted no attention on him because of the fact that he was self-conscious. Was he ugly? Well, he had a severe acne problem. Like, severe acne oh, problem. But He also dressed in old clothes, and he usually always wore the same outfit. And it was always dirty. Uh, per, per, on purpose? It was. Why? I don't know if they just didn't have enough money or what. Um, But his clothes were never clean and they were super baggy. Like, they did not fit him at all. Aww. He did not actually care much about his appearance. And that sparked his classmates to be, um, well, you know, kind of like kids are today. Uh, Bullies. Yeah. They actually been, they call, oh, God. They actually gave him a nickname. Have you ever been giving a horrible, horrible nickname in school? No. I, I I don't think I was either, but you know what they called him? Oh, God. Germs Jamelski. Yep. Could you imagine if he went to school in 2020 <gasps> and they gave him that nickname and people were, like, shooting hand sanitizer at him? That's not funny. It's not funny, but I could see that happening. That's the I got thing. the mental image in my mind, and I'm like, oh, my God, that would I could really see a water. Happen. I could see a water gun being filled with it and just, yeah. you would gleek on him? No, That's but I was, that was my interpretation of the hand sanitizer flying out. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so after graduation, despite not being stellar at academics, he actually did go to college. Oh. I know. I'm not sure how that happened because... But he did. He huh. actually went to Mooresville State College. Oh, okay. I know where that is. I had a, a bus monitor who went there for uh, equine, equine, you know, horse horse stuff. I did not know what that meant. Okay. Nay. You know. <laughs> We're back, y'all. <laughs> Here we are. A Shanda's at it again. So before you think that John made a good choice, he actually didn't want to go. He was pushed by his father. I was just gonna. I was just thinking in my head. I bet you his parents were the ones pushing him. Yeah, he did graduate though with a bachelor's degree in watchmaking in 1955. 
Which, by the way, after some Googling, because I was curious, um, browsing the college website, it doesn't seem that they still offer watchmaking. Um, but it is offered at 13 other schools throughout the U.S. Watchmaking as a uh, degree. No. Again, factories. No. Factories. So after graduation, he did join the Army Reserves. However, he's not athletic. However, instead of serving our country, John used this time to carry out sexual relationships with dozens of women. And because if you take anything away from this, just know that John is charming. But he didn't speak. But I also want you to refer back to season one, episode one, the dirty hippie who was charming. Ira Einhorn. I hate him. Yeah. So John Germs Jamelski later claimed that he was one of the most popular soldiers on base. He's tooting his own horn. Yeah, you know, you know how I'm feeling about yeah, this. You're, yeah. Um, I do not think that this statement is how he perceived everything. I can't guarantee that this even happened. Actually, hmm. I don't even. I don't even know if it's true. Um. Uh, all we have are his words to describe it. Right. You know, him saying, yeah, that was the hottest thing since sliced bread. You know what I mean? I There's no nothing to back that up. Um, and because what would a case be without my favorite quality in a man? All you have to do is say true or made up. Fuck off with your cockiness. <laughs> I hate cocky. Like, I don't care if it's true or not. I fucking hate cocky. Yeah, it sucks. Why would you lie about it? Like, what is that? What What is that doing? I, uh, I'm going to put it, something out there. If any of you out there listening have grandmothers or anything that went, oh, I slept with John Jamelski, uh, feel free to email us because I'm quite interested to know if he was just making shit up or not. Right. Or if he I was have a, really. I mean, I have, a, I have an opinion. Have you seen a picture of him? Oh, God, yes. Is he good looking? Um, well, I mean, I haven't seen a picture of him from then. Oh, just what he looks like now? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not, I, I can't, I can't say, oh, yeah, he's, he was totally hot back then. I don't, I can't really tell you, but I do have a picture now. So, it's like, yeah, you didn't like that? Nope. Well, that's it. Um, Here's one of him, like, getting ready to cry or something. Um, oh, God, those glasses. So, eh, you know, I don't think he saw that in a bag of chips, but he thought he was. So his sexual escapades with multiple women only lasted a few years, though, because he later met and married Dorothy Richmond in 1959. And the pair spared no time into in the bedroom, you know? Hippity hoppity, hoo hoo hoo, you know. I know the the rabbit thumping away, <laughs> you know. Do they have children? Play and hide the turtle. Just <laughs> you know, hide the turtle. <laughs> Is the vagina the home? Is it shell? They really messed us around here. <laughs> um, yeah, they got into baby making. Uh, and their first son, Paul, was born in 1961 and then joined by Eric and Brian, like literally one right after another. They had kids. Yeah. 
And the family was actually super happy. Dorothy was a substitute teacher at Moses DeWitt Elementary School, while John worked at an Acme supermarket. Yeah. Yep. And he coached Little League Baseball. Sounds good. How? He He's not athletic. He... Uh, yeah, no, he didn't like sports, but he can coach it probably. Oh. He can tell them what to do. He just can't do it. Oh. It's, you know, monkey see, monkey do, or don't. Something. Don't do what monkey says. I don't know. What's the word? <laughs> What's the phrase? <laughs> yeah. Do as I say, not as I do. Yes. Play the sport. Just don't just stand there. Just don't ask me to uh, show you anything. Exactly. <laughs> I'll tell you how to do it. I can't show you. Yeah. John was a lot like his father when it came to money. So John Jr. was so thrifty that he often, like, argued with people about money, even if, like, it was just a difference of a few cents, whether it was, like, something he was owed or what he would spend on something. If it was just a few cents, he was arguing with people about it. That's how – I don't know if that's frugal. I think that's just insane. He also had a habit of going to the library each Monday morning to take – coupons out of the Sunday paper, like, just so he wouldn't have to spend money on the paper. Oh, so he stole them. Well, he wasn't really stealing them. He actually spoke with the librarians and persuaded them into holding them for him. I don't know how that conversation goes. How? That's stealing. And I'm, I'm also going to... That's s- them stealing. I'm also, the I'm also going to say that... The term persuaded is used loosely because there were actually some occasions that the library, the libraries, the librarians didn't save them. And in those instances, he became angry and abusive. Yeah. So he would demand to know what the librarians were going to do to make it up to him because he couldn't save five cents on groceries. Oh, my God. Like he felt like he was owed that. Like, my dude, you're not owed anything. Nobody owes you shit. Yeah, what a nut. They owe you the coupons from the paper that they buy? Okay. So, at this point, you remember how he was unclean in high school? Yes. Yeah, he was still that. And Um, he had a wife and... Yeah. He also went, like, many days not shaving now. So, picture this. A grown man, dirty jeans, dirty sweatshirt, dirty sneakers unshaved, strolling around town at night, going through garbage and whatnot, looking for bottles and cans to cash in. But not like the people we see doing it, you know, not like homeless. He wasn't homeless. He actually would end up with hundreds and hundreds of bottles, enough to fill his car completely. This was actually like a whole process he had. He wasn't homeless. He wasn't, he wasn't. He wasn't like those people who just need a few bucks to buy a pack of cigarettes. So why was he doing it? He liked it. He would go out and get the cans and bottles and take them home and separate them into some piles. There was redeem for money locally pile, redeem in main pile, and the keep pile. John had a collection. Of bottles. Yeah. So first, he actually redeemed a lot of the cans and bottles locally. Um, however, here in New York, Gatorade and Snapple bottles, uh, he would f- put separately because here in New York, they don't, you can't get anything for right. that. But he knew that if he would drive to the state of Maine, he could get 10 cents per bottle. Okay, but then how much is he spending on the gasoline to get there? Yeah, he's filling like a whole trailer in order to do this. 
Oh, my God. So as for his collection, he literally had an absurd collection of bottles. He just kept them lined on shelves. He had over 10,000 bottles that he organized on shelving. And then he made sure everything with the bottle was just, like, perfect in the basement. In the basement. Upstairs, however, was not perfection. His yard was trashed. Trashed. Think junkyard, quite literally. Cars, furniture, appliance, tires, anything and everything, all out on the lawn. How can he be so meticulous in one space of his house and then the rest of his house is just like... I'm unsure. That's crazy. That's crazy. So the entire property was actually fenced in with a six-foot-tall wooden fence. Weeds were overgrown. And from the road, anyone would have thought that the home was actually abandoned. Neighbors complained. Violations were given. Nothing changed because John didn't care. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So John actually, I think, had far too much time on his hands. Um... It was Monday, September 1st, 1975, when he was actually just driving around alone in Syracuse on a quiet street. He did this quite often, by the way. He just drove around. He loved to just drive around. Just driving, driving. So he saw a house that he thought was not abandoned quite, but he just thought nobody lived there. Okay. Um, So for whatever reason, this, like, sparked something in him. He just saw it and was like... Yeah, so I got to do something. What did he have to do? So I'm not sure what he needed with the house exactly, but he decided to drive by multiple times, memorize the name on the mailbox. Apparently there was a name on the mailbox, um, which would give me a red flag that maybe somebody lives there. No. Uh, then he drove to a nearby convenience store, looked up the name in the phone book. Yes, the phone book, because they had that in 1975. Remember, we didn't have technology. Yeah. Then he proceeded to call the home. So now I'm assuming it rang because the story goes that no one answered his call. So I'm assuming it rang. It rang, just no one answered. But John took this unanswered call as a sign that the home was unoccupied. Why? Maybe they weren't home or maybe they didn't hear it or maybe they were outside. Okay, but here's the thing. This is where questions arose for me. One, when he says unoccupied, I was thinking he meant he thought no one lived there. Right. But if you call a number... And the phone or number works, then it would ring. Therefore, there would be a phone with a working number. Right. So somebody lives there. Because I don't know of any homes that people do not live in that have working phones in them. Right. Up to when landlines were still a thing. thing. Right. And usually... You have to call the electric or phone company to have them turn on your phone. Yeah, not every house just has... Lines. It's yeah. the weirdest thing. So I don't know. I don't know what was going on there. Maybe it was a 70s thing. I didn't grow up in the 70s, but I doubt it. Um, anyway, with his new information from an unanswered phone call, he decided to leave his car at the store and walk to the home. Okay. Lovely. So for more proof, he decided to stand at the front door and ring the bell over and over and over again. Why did he need to leave his car somewhere and and walk there if he was just going to stand there and ring the bell? I don't know. But when nobody answered that, he proceeded on thinking that nobody lived there. So he tried to walk in, didn't he? Nope. He walked around the house where he conveniently found a ladder leaning up against the side wall. He picked it up, carried it to the backyard, and then placed it right below a window that was at the second floor. Ah. He then climbed the ladder thinking he was going to try to get into this window. I don't think he tried any other, like, doors or windows. He just walked around the house, went, ooh, a ladder. 
I'll just try to put this out Why of window. Why would you do that first instead of trying windows or doors? I don't know. None of this makes any sense idiot. to me. <laughs> so when he reached the window, he peered, he peered in. Yeah, like a crazy peeping Tom person. And across the room, looking back at him, was a man. <laughs> I would have screamed. Oh, my God. I would have been terrified. Yeah. Oh, oh, I didn't know anybody lived here. I know. <laughs> I could just see him now. You there. I see you. I called you. And I, I rang, rang your doorbell. Why didn't you answer me? I was looking for you. There's an emergency. That's not what he did. That's not what he did. He actually saw the man. And then, you know, you know that. No, because you don't watch Alice in Wonderland. No. But there's this point where the um, lizard with the ladder trying to get down the chimney. He was scared because of the monster in the house, which was Alice. And uh, he, like, he scurried back down the ladder. That's so, what he did. Yeah, he left. He ran. John ran down See, the ladder. He would have had his car. It would have been a getaway, fast getaway. Yeah, no, he ran back to the convenience store. The man inside the house called the police and then ran after John. And yes, he did catch John. <laughs> So John could not have been that fast because no. the man was able to <laughs> call, call the police, police and go then... downstairs, run after you. You've had a while. Ample time. <laughs> yeah. John was later arrested for attempted burglary, and this was his first arrest. So he pled guilty to a lesser charge and did zero jail time. I'm not exactly sure what the charges were. I couldn't find them. But, I mean, you were there too burglarize the house i guess but if you thought nobody lived there then i don't know what you thought you were going to get out of it and you didn't get very far you just at this point i could see trespassing trespassing that's what i i, I and was peeping tom kind yeah. of situation because you're looking in burglary. windows so three years later in 1978 his dad died oh. so this is when john jamelski became rich oh yeah inheritance <clears throat> yeah so he inherited a lot from his father so his mother was still alive, so she actually got some stuff too. But there was a valuable cock. <laughs> a valuable cock? <laughs> Did you mean clock? Clock collection. <laughs> That's hard. Say that five times fast. Clock, 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 clock. No. There you go. No. See, you couldn't do it. <laughs> oh it's so funny, y'all, because while that was funny, she said it and immediately both hands went right over her mouth and she just recluded into like the toilet no. in the first uh, she, she, she recluded into the toilet the toilet nook she's sitting on top of the toilet and it was just like she was like a turtle going back into a shell <laughs> which is not the vagina by the way or the toilet or the toilet just <laughs> throwing that out there anyway so there's a valuable clock collection so, in fact, it is said that some of the pieces in the collection were worth $40,000 each. Each? Mm-hmm. So, later, with the help of an auction service, he ended up selling most of it. So, with the inheritance, he then took over possession of the family home, which was the 77 Highbridge Road area place. Yes. However, in the 80s, developers wanted to build on his parents' land, so they actually purchased eight acres for John, from John for over $100,000. So by this time, John was investing in land in Nevada and New Mexico. He was also bought into the stock market, and his profit never really, like, was fully understood. However, experts later believed that his investments actually exceeded $1 million, and he was a millionaire. The man. 
who was dirty on purpose. That's what I was trying to tell you earlier without telling you he's a millionaire. Yeah, he still did the dirty and the go look for cans and bottles thing. He's a millionaire. He was a millionaire with million monies. Lots of <laughs> money millions. You know what I mean? Isn't that crazy, though? That makes your head hurt? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm confused. I mean, I'm not confused. I understand what you're telling me. It's the craziest thing. I don't understand why he purposely chose to be gross. I I don't know either. Maybe it was just and what she, he was used his to. wife still let him put his pee in her V dirty. Maybe does he, that make her dirty? Maybe she was like, "Dude, you gotta clean off that thing before you be sticking it into my turtle shell." Because I mean, I would. I don't know. He I was. I don't. He was icky, and he was a millionaire. I don't know. That's. It's, I mean, it's like it's like a. I, oh, it's like a weird. Ooh. It's like a weird riddle. Yes, that there's <laughs> no answer to. There's no answer to it. So it was now the early 1980s, and all three of John's sons actually moved out of the family home. Uh, so Brian was actually closer to his dad. They had like a, a stronger bond than the other two. Um, so he stayed closer in the area when everybody else moved a little further away. Um, everyone knew John Jamelski to be odd, but yeah. I think we've already figured that out. Yeah. So it was no surprise to Brian when his father announced just randomly he was going to build a bomb shelter. W- why? Because he's weird like that. So that's what he did. So with Brian's help, they planned a construction. It was a 10-foot deep by 24-foot long and 15-foot wide concrete bomb shelter underneath the Jamalski's backyard. Okay? So it was built underground almost like... um, Blast from the Past? Did you ever see that movie with Brendan Fraser? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So it was just like under their backyard. So weird. So the concrete room was separated into two areas, one being 10 feet by 8 feet, the other being 13 feet by 12 feet. In order to access the shelter, though, it was built close to the home, all right, so they could just get to it from within the basement. John bashed a hole in his basement wall that led to the newly created shelter, but the access door was actually created only 32 inches by 37 inches wide. It wasn't that big. And one person could only crawl through the passage at a time. So in order to get to the passage, however, you actually had to use a little bit of a ladder or a step stool because he built the access point like four feet from the floor. The passageway itself to the bomb shelter was like 10 feet long. So you climb up into this hole that's like four feet off the floor. It's, It's like a rabbit hole almost, you climb, you crawl 10 feet, and then you get into the shelter that has two rooms. Okay, then. That doesn't sound like anything that I want to do. So the book that I read um, was written by Mark Gatto, and this is what he wrote about it. Once a visitor passed through the door, he would have to crawl a distance of nearly 10 feet before reaching the bunker. When he did, he would be perched on a ledge a few feet off the floor. 
There was a second door there, constructed of metal, that could be secured by a lock and a hasp from either side. A visitor could be locked in and also locked out. Oh, my. So I'll be, like, linking the book below. Uh, You can buy it on Kindle. That's where I read it because you couldn't get it in paperback form. Um, But do you know what a hasp is? No. Okay, so, um, well, this is a lock and that thing. A hasp is more like the ones that... The chains where you have to click in and then they slide? I think that did come up as well. But, no, it's the one where you have to pull it down this way, slide it over, slide it into the hole in the wall... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. So that would be a hasp. So John told Brian he would use the bomb shelter as storage for his bottles (laughs) and a place for guests to stay. No! (laughs) Absolutely not! Who's going to want to stay there? It's a dungeon! No! (laughs) Could you imagine? Oh, we're going to stay at the Jamalskis. Oh, yeah? In the bomb shelter? What a great Airbnb. Why didn't you just build an addition on then? Why did he need it to have it to be underground under lock and key? It doesn't make any sense. No. So as it turns out, the bottle collection never did make it into the bomb shelter, but it lined the walls of the basement leading to the bomb shelter. Like his entire basement was bottles, cans and bottles that he was collecting. I'm so confused by this man. So when Brian later went into the shelter, he saw an old sink and a bathtub in the smaller room. Okay. So, over many years, people actually toured the shelter. <laughs> On purpose? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, one was actually the man who poured the concrete for it. Another was actually a friend's 12-year-old daughter. By herself? I don't, I'm not sure, but that's what it sounds like. Who gave her the tour? I don't know. That's red flag. But years later, she actually remembered the basement being filled with the bottles and then having to crawl through the passageway to the concrete shelter. She said that it was dark in there and that John had given her a candle in order to see and explore. She even said that there was like some stuff written on the walls, but she could not remember what that was. I'm sorry, but if I went to somebody's house as a 12 year old and they're like, okay, crawl through this tunnel. No. Who, who's touring it? I don't understand. Why? Are they, why are I, they? Why are, are her maybe parents? Maybe they never. Maybe it was one of those things where it's like, oh my god, we never knew anybody who has a bomb shelter. Can we see it? Maybe it was that kind of thing. I don't know. But who's letting Still her creepy. go by herself? Yes, exactly. I don't know if she did or not, but it but sounds so. like that. So otherwise, like, why would they not say that her family came? They specifically said that it was a 12-year-old daughter, so I'm not sure. Yeah. So after a while, John added things here and there to the bunker. He bought one electrical wire that he got in order to provide light. And then he ran a hose through a hole in the wall in order to provide water. So in the large room, he added, like, a makeshift bed that was, oh, my God, it was like plywood (laughs) on top of bread trays. (laughs) And it had this little itty, like, super thin, not even, like, an inch thick looking piece of styrofoam. But he's a millionaire. I know. (laughs) That's what he made. So he also, but he's frugal, remember? That's just crazy. It's frugal. He also added to the room that would be used as, like, a makeshift bathroom. So he brought in a chair with a bucket that would be used as a toilet, 
Um, and then for vent, I mean, how else are you going to, he doesn't have any plumbing in there, so you couldn't do that. So then for ventilation, he used like a dryer hose and that completed his bunker slash guest room. Oh my God. Isn't that somewhere you would want to say? No. I wonder if that's an art, like an Airbnb now. That sounds like my nightmares. Also at this time, Dorothy became ill. Turns out she had cancer. Oh, no. So, and she was, like, very, very ill. So, as a husband, thinking, like, I think that at this time, there was, like, 25 years of marriage, you would think that he would be, like, by her side, helping yeah. her out, caring for her, washing her up, cherishing, like, the he moments they had. Bunker, didn't he? No. He just wasn't there. Who um, took care of her? I mean, he helped take care of her, but it was getting to the point where, like, she wasn't going to live long. But he was more wor- worried about, like, how she would be fulfilling his needs. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's so, gross. unfortunately, he was um, upset that his dying wife could no longer give him sex and keep him satisfied and happy. So, this leads us to why we're here. Oh. Oh, my. Yeah. So going back to his ways from 1975, he was cruising around. Because he liked to do that. In his tan 1975 Mercury Comet. I think your husband would have something to say about that. Yeah, he probably would. So, however, this wasn't the same old John Jamelski. Dirty old man. No, he upgraded himself. 49-year-old John lost a lot of weight, grew his hair out to put into a ponytail, Listened to hip hop music <laughs> and began like dressing nice, like wearing designer jeans and sneakers. Dirty ones? No. Oh. He was cleaning himself up for this thing. So while driving around in 1984, the year before we were born, born he was in Skinny Atlas. Oh! My brother in law lives there. That was super loud. Sorry. <laughs> he was in Skinny Atlas looking for. A girlfriend. wonder why he went to Skinny Atlas. But he wasn't looking for just any girl. He was looking for a teenage girl. Why? Why? He's 49. I know. So this is where he saw young Debbie walking down the street. And when I say young, I mean 16. Which, let's just be honest, is 33 years younger than John. So that meant nothing to him. Oh, God, that's gross. It wasn't long, and the two were in a sexual relationship. A consented sexual relationship. And, of course, when you're in a relationship and you move forward, like John did, he moved her into his home that he shared with his wife. She wasn't dead yet? No. He was moving another girl in? Yeah. So as it happens, though, like... Isn't this girl, like, close in age to his kids? Um, I think his kids are older because. Oh, my. Yeah. That's so gross. I think they're older. Because um, remember, they were moving out. So they're of moving out age. Um, they're adults. So, you know, as it happens, when you move your secret girlfriend into the home that you share with your wife and still try to keep it a secret. <laughs> That's what he was doing. It doesn't stay a secret. No. It wasn't long when Dorothy found out about Debbie 
Although I'm not exactly sure how, but could you imagine she like walks into the bathroom and there's this 16 year old girl in your home and after realizing she's just going about her business, not stealing like a thief, you ask your husband about it only to find out, oh yeah, dear. See, here's, well, the thing. You're sick and I needed my sexual desires met. So meet Debbie, my girlfriend. Could you just imagine? Like, that's not how it went down, but like, there's no story as to how this happened, but... It turns out that the relationship with Debbie didn't just uh, get a reaction from Dorothy. When John's sons found out, all hell broke loose. I would imagine so. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It turns out that they weren't very accepting of the situation. I wouldn't be either. And actually, one of them, although I'm not sure who, punched John in the face during an argument about Debbie. So it turned out that his family was not keen on his relationship with her, and John decided to call it quits. So instead of just not stepping out of his marriage, you know, not instead of just not sleeping with people, he said that the next times he would do things differently. In his own words, he said, I felt so guilty about the girl. Can't even say say her name. Debbie. Yeah. I felt so guilty about the girl that I said to myself, I am not going to have a mistress or a girlfriend. I will pay the girl money. Oh, so you have a prostitute. (laughs) That's apparently what he wants. Oh, okay then. So John did not change his ways. In 1988, the 53-year-old now, self-proclaimed ladies' man and teenage wannabe, he was still going out. Every night, doing what he himself called cruising. So at this time, his wife Dorothy was actually now bedridden with cancer in 1988. Just remember that. She's bedridden. Um, This pushed John even more to, like, look for sex with other women. This was when he decided relationships were too much work. And he claimed that they were too tedious. And he was not looking for that. He wasn't looking for a relationship. He was looking for something more exciting, casual, and satisfying. He was looking for the thrill of kidnapping teenage girls for sex. That's not what, no. That's, that's, that. He was like, this other thing, being in a relationship, that's too much for me. We're just going to kidnap people and have sex with them. And then probably pay them because that's what he initially said. Even if they're not hookers. He thinks, I think in his mind, he's like, if I give them money, everything's fine. How does he think that would be less of a of a chore of work? I'm telling you right now that if a man kidnapped me, had sex with me, and then threw money at me and was like, we're good, right? Absolutely not. I'd be like, what the fuck just happened? What is this? I think he's crazy. Well, he's a crazy millionaire. I don't care so. if he has millions or billions. He's fucking crazy. He is nuts. So he found himself cruising... East Syracuse on September in 1988 when he saw a girl walking along the street. 14-year-old Amy. Oh, my God. What was her name? Amy. Was headed home from hanging out with friends. So she was actually a troubled girl. So she's run away from home before. Um, and she actually wasn't a stranger to police, although I'm not sure for what. Um, John pulled his car over. And it didn't take much to persuade her to give or get to get in the car. Oh, my God. Um, he then took her to his mother's home. And he actually prepared a room for this very scenario. Oh, that's so So creepy. during the drive, 
he told her that the two of them were actually going to be having sex. It was like, just so you know, that's what that's what we're doing here. 40, like 14-year-old and a 53-year-old. He's like, that's just FYI. We're going to be having sex. He also told her that he knew it was a bad idea, but they were going to be doing that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is just bizarre. <laughs> Isn't it the weirdest thing? So bizarre. It's like, I know we shouldn't be doing this, but fuck it. That's I'm what aware. we're doing. It's wrong. We're doing it anyways. Yeah. He was like, don't, you don't need to tell me. I know. All right. I know what I'm doing. It's fine. We're doing it. So at his mother's home, he took her to the basement where there was like, it was like a little storage area for like a well pump. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the room was seven feet by three feet and he had fastened a door to it with a lock and a hasp. It had no heat, no toilet, no electricity. And that is where he chained her to the wall. (gasps) Yep. And above ground, because for a while, there's usually like an above ground area. He decided to place a doghouse over that area. So no one was like going to peer down it and see that it was empty or see anything. He was just like, put a doghouse over it. Nobody will know what's going on. How long did he keep her there? Yeah, let's talk about that. So John would actually go into the room every day, unlock the door to get to Amy, and then he would daily demand sex from her daily. So he told her that if she tried to get away, he'd find her, keep her locked up forever. She was terrified out of her fucking mind. Well, duh. So she did not resist anything. I don't think I would have either. So in order to keep her under his thumb, he actually told her that if she did not do what he demanded, he would kill her brother or other family members. And she did have a brother. That went on for six months. Oh my god. He kept her in that little tiny hole for six months. So in March of 1989, he decided to move her to his own home. Not because his wife's dead. Nope, she's still alive. And he decides to bring Amy there. So he took her into what he played off as a bomb shelter, but what he had really constructed was a sex dungeon. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, that was literally the whole purpose. Yeah. I knew there was a catch. Yeah. I knew it. Forget those guests coming. Yeah. So in the dungeon, he chained her to the floor by her leg. He took her clothes from her. And for the first few days, he just left her there naked. Oh, my God. Yeah. He even controlled the light. Like... Lack thereof, light. He kept it dark in there most of the time just to intimidate her. Just can make a person go crazy. Oh, my God. She was also only fed crumbs and given a bottle of water only every couple of days. She bathed with the hose in the tub, but there was nowhere to drain it, so it would just go onto the floor in the dungeon. Why didn't she scream? Wouldn't somebody have heard her screaming? Actually, no. Aside from being held captive for six months now and told he would kill her family, Dorothy would not have heard her. Turns out that the concrete dungeon was actually soundproof. Oh, my God. Because it was underground. It was was concrete. Nobody could hear. Nobody could hear. So it actually takes a little bit of a turn here.
keeping Amy for so long, John told her that his name was Luther. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. That's just a funny name. It is. Luther. Yeah. He actually had a whole... A whole story. Oh my God. His name's Luther, and he's involved in a huge sex cult. And not only just any sex cult. No, no, no. This one had high-profile people in it. People like politicians and police officers. You get where he's going? Yeah. Nobody's going to help you, my dear. They're all in on it. Yeah. He also said that there were girls actually involved in this, and they were being held captive upstairs. Remember, his wife is upstairs better than all of this is a lie, but this is what he's telling her. He also said that there were rules that Amy would have to have sex with John until his quote unquote superior decided that she was good enough to have sex with the head honcho. <laughs> no idea where he came up what with this. What is happening? Yeah. So actually, he said that if she refused sex with him at any time, It just added to her time being left in the dungeon. He then told her that she may as well just give in because there was no one that could help her. She had to stay in the dungeon until it was decided upon that she could go home. So his story's like, you're here and they're watching us have sex. And until you're good enough having sex with me, then you'll be able to have sex with the head honcho. Which is also him. And then <laughs> everybody in this is him. His superior, the head honcho, it's all John or Luther. Then there's also the person who I'm guessing is the head honcho that can decide when she goes home. Also, Luther. <laughs> John. John Luther Germs Jamalski. Okay. <laughs> so, but this is a story. He like, many hats. He does. <laughs> And he comes up with elaborate stories. <laughs> I just, like, how long did it come up? How long did it take you to come up with this? And memorize it. Because I'm sure he didn't go down with a piece of paper and be like, Okay, so. Hear ye, hear ye. <laughs> or maybe, he, or maybe he just came up with it like on, on the fly. Just as he was talking. Yeah, I, I don't understand what that was about. So he then upped the ante. Oh, my yeah, he started forcing her to drink alcohol. Why? Um, he was already I'm getting not her to do sure. what, she, what he wanted. So what was the point in the alcohol? But that's going to dehydrate her. Like, yeah, she was only given a bottle of water every few days. Yeah, I don't know. But he also made her keep a detailed diary of everything that was happening every day, and he had rules about the diary. Which she had to write down each time she bathed, brushed her teeth, and had sex with him. And then it was all coded. So he made her indicate each activity with a letter. So T stood for brushing her teeth. B stood for bathing. And S stood for sex. Highly. We would have never cracked you that You never would have cracked it. No. He also demanded that the entries have a time written on them. How does she know the time? She has nothing. How? There's no electricity down there except for the light. Did he give her a watch? Well, I mean, he is a watchmaker. Maybe he told her. This is insane. This is for your entry later. He's probably like. He's probably like. It's 414. 414. (laughs) Write it down. Write it down. Oh, yes. 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 Brush your teeth. It's 415 now. (laughs) 
not understand how this worked. This is the... I don't get it. It's mind-boggling. <laughs> why did he need the time written in the diaries? Isn't this ridiculous? I'm so... I don't know where this is going. I don't know either. <laughs> what do you do with the time? Where, what, where I mean, is he the... trying to keep track of, like, doing it every so often? Like, he's like, okay, let me see your diary. Oh, yeah. It's been an hour lay down. Uh, 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 5.15! 5.15! <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't understand. I think we should start filming this where people can see us record. Because <laughs> it's so funny. Listen. I, I can't get into it if I'm not thrusting. I don't know. I had to. But I know that he was... Ow, ow, ow. <laughs> I just don't know. I don't have any Yours idea. came off like you were getting shot. <laughs> you did not have any pelvis reaction there. And you might need sex therapy. <laughs> I know of a guy named Luther. <laughs> Might be able to help you. <laughs> um, so actually, he began, like, checking her entries to make sure they were updated and when they were. So, <laughs> I don't get this. He's now got to know the time of everything she's doing. Because he's got to make sure it's right. She can't just write down a random time. He's literally making sure it's right. Why so somehow they both... keep the journal? But what if she brushes her teeth? Or bathes, and he doesn't know. Like, I don't understand. There was no camera. What if she just didn't do those things and just said that she did? I have no idea. There are so many questions. I see holes in this. However, when the entries were up to date, he decided to, like, start rewarding her with small gifts. So he was actually giving her flowers, snacks, candy, things that you give people when you're in a... Relationship? Yeah. He actually thought he was in a relationship with her. But she's chained to the floor of his sex dungeon. That screams relationship. And he kidnapped her. Say so. And threatened to kill her. And then didn't even give her his real name. He was catfishing her. <laughs> He's like, my name's Luther. I'm hot. And I'm closer to your age than you think. <laughs> you know how you know? Check out my Turtle. white... Ponytail. Oh, right. Yeah. And I can and I can sing hip hop. Those gonna... wrinkles on my penis, they're just like notches in a bedpost. That just means I'm really good at it. <laughs> oh you know? Did this girl get away? Oh, let's keep going. So being locked in a concrete bunker with like the lights off the majority of the time. She never knew whether it was, like, day or night outside. Yeah, she was probably going insane. Yeah, she slept, like, 20 hours of the day. Yeah. Until he came down and, uh, 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 you know. 7.15, write that down. Yeah. So she actually did what I imagine would happen. She went through depression, anxiety, fear. And with the alcohol that he was giving her, she actually self-medicated. So John began to come in and, like, read to her. Every day. This is getting weirder and weirder. He would read to her right before he demanded sex. 
What do you think he was reading to her? Was it the Bible? It was the Bible. <laughs> was it? Yeah. Oh, my So God. could you imagine that God so loved the world that he gave his own only begotten son that whosoever. Now, take your clothes off. We're having sex. Oh, no, no. Her clothes were already gone. That's right. No need to get naked. Just lay I did it for you. (laughs) You're welcome. Do you, I mean. No. So was he getting turned on by the Bible? He must have been reading the Song of Solomon. I'm very confused by all of this. This is making absolutely zero sense. Yeah. Not that murders or true crime makes sense, but you know. Yeah, I'm so glad that it doesn't make sense to us because that means we're not going to be able to pull it off. We would not be able to do this. I yeah, think if we, it made sense to us, I think Ash and Elena say this a lot, but, like, if it made sense to us, then I would be worried about who we are. Do you know what I mean? Like, when we think about, like, Dahmer or Bundy or anything, like, we go, how do you do yeah, that? Yeah, true. Yeah. If yeah. we understood, yeah. I would be worried for yeah, us. Yeah. And I would say we probably need to go get evaluated. Yeah. If we understood cannibalism yeah. to that extent or if we understood strangling women to death over and over again, then I would go, mm. So I'm really glad that we don't understand. So John then thought that Amy was being good enough to deserve a different perk. So he brought in a television. So she watched the news and determined that she was in Syracuse from the local news. And she was kind of hoping that her parents were looking for her. And they had been searching for her. So they reported their daughter missing. And despite, like, what we know about police and despite the fact that she's run away before, the police actually were looking for her. Good. Which is very weird because nowadays they're like... Uh, try waiting 24 hours. They probably ran away. Like, but they were looking for her. So in the meantime, John decided to let Amy, like, write a letter to her parents. So he instructed her what to say um, and telling them that she was all right. So lying. She was also allowed to call her friends and say that she was fine and would come home when the time was right. Yeah. So he was really making it well known. Maybe they were amping up looking for her. So they're like, he's like, oh, shit. Um, Just make a phone call and let them know that you're fine. You just you did not want to be there. Two years after her abduction. Oh, my God. In October of 1990, John allowed her to call her mother. She told her mom that she was okay and she would be home soon but would not say where she was. So after some more phone calls to her mom, by January of 1991, her mother decided that her daughter was not in any danger and was maybe in New York City living with her friends and working as a barmaid. No. I feel like that was, I don't know what's going on in that family where she just thought, yeah, that's what she's doing. So she told the police that her daughter did not like living at home and that, her and her husband were okay with this arrangement. Oh, my gosh. So despite their doubts about Amy's whereabouts and willingness, the police had nothing to go on and closed the case. Because they were getting phone calls from Amy saying she doesn't want to be there. Oh, my God. I can't believe that. So during conversations with Amy... John had found out where she lived. Oh, my God. 
Because mind you, he found her on the side of the road walking home. So he went to her house and said that he was a rental agent for the landlord because they didn't own their house. Amy's mother willingly let John in. This is the man who kidnapped and is holding her daughter in a sex dungeon. So while he was in the home, he was taking pictures of everything. He even took pictures of the family. So after having Amy for two years, he let her go. He decided he wanted to take her, he wanted to take her on a trip to California. What is what is going through his head? What 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 is this? Well, he told her that his boss owned a cabin in Lake Tahoe. And they were gonna go there to have sex with them because she was good at it now. <laughs> oh my god! This is like I just don't even know. And then he showed her the photos of her home and her family and said, if you do not cooperate, they will all be killed. So for the trip, and this is going to make you super mad, so get on your sassy pants, okay? For the trip, he blindfolded Amy in order to put her in his car because he didn't want her knowing where they were. And then he and Amy both sat in the back. As the driver took them to the airport. Who, who, who's the driver? I'm so glad you asked. The driver was Brian, John's son. son. He didn't wonder who the fuck this girl is and why Yeah, this she's... now 16-year-old girl? Uh, he did, actually. And John told his son that Amy's family had asked him to keep her because she needed to lose weight and could not come home until he helped her reach the goal that they desired. And Brian believed this. Yep. Yep. He accepted the story without any questions. I do not understand that at all. I Never would I believe anything. Anything like that. When I first was reading this, I'm like, oh, okay, he's going to come up with a story that the girl is on drugs and somehow the family and him were friends and he could get her off of the drugs. No, this was about weight gain. And a desired number from her family. And she could not come home until, I don't know. Why would anybody believe that? I know. Everybody believes Luther. So at the airport, John took the blindfold off and they went on their way. Now I have a question. Why didn't she scream? Why didn't she yell? Why well, didn't she? because he's going to kill her family. Remember, he has the photos of her family. So yeah, Amy's... but if, if, if he's caught, then who would kill the family? The head the honcho, honcho, the superior, who knows? The police, the politicians that are all in the sex cult. He had her under his thumb. Oh, my God. But I have a question. So Brian now knows that there's this 16-year-old girl in his dad's custody to lose weight. He never went and talked to Dorothy about it? Oh, right. He didn't say anything to the brothers? Did he not, like, go, hey, this is the story Dad tells. I drove them to the airport. Is this true? Did he? What did he how did he just accept it? Which makes it, like, super worrisome. Like, was he in on it? But according to everything, he's not. He's apparently just dumber Dumb. than a box of rocks. Or dumber than Ryan. So, in Lake Tahoe... 
John took Amy out in public. They went to dinner, casinos, toured the area, you know, like they were in a relationship. Did she seem happy? Like, put on I'm, a show happy? I'm not sure how she seemed, but I'm going to assume, like, she played a role so that she or her family wouldn't get killed. I'm sure she just went along with this like she did in the beginning. Didn't, you know, she didn't resist or anything. Oh, my God. I mean, she's probably terrified. And now he's probably brainwashed her. We're two years in. Yeah, true. So after one week of being in California, John said, I'm done. Just left her there? Nope. He bought a plane ticket, drove Amy to the airport, and sent her back to Syracuse without him. Put her on a plane. See ya. And he stayed. And he stayed in California. So when she arrived home, she stayed mum about everything. Did not say a word. Nothing about what went on for the two years that she was gone. Oh, my God. And uh, she kept that secret for the next 13 years. So John did end up going back home um, and acted like nothing happened. Just like he went on vacation and that was it. And oh my God. he got to work cleaning the dungeon and removing anything that would say that Amy had been there. And then on the evening of May of 1995, he convinced 14-year-old Barbara, who was walking home alone, to get into his car. And the cycle started all over again. Yeah. Sort of. Sort of. Barbara was another troubled teen who had a rough life that consisted of foster homes, rebellion, running away, sleeping on friends' couches. She was actually living with people she met through someone else. So, yeah, at 14. So, John Luther Jermelski told Barbara that his name was Matthew. Oh. And he needed her to deliver a package for him. (laughs) Wow. He said that he worked for other people who would turn, who would in turn pay her to run the errand. Okay. So, Essentially, it's like a middleman situation. Right, right. So these people would give John the money to pay her for running a package somewhere. Oh, my God. He told her it wasn't going to take long. Just get in the car. She agreed. Idiot. He headed towards his home and told her that the package was at his house, but she needed to put her head down and not look out the windows because he didn't want her to know where he lived. So the story of the package did not end there, actually. John led her to the basement and right into the dungeon where he said the bed that the package was located. So John let Barbara look around the rooms, and for the most part, they were just as they had been when Amy first arrived. However, this time there were actually a few packages wrapped in brown paper and tied with string next to the bed. John told her that they were super heavy and that they contained gold. What in the... And that's why he needed 14-year-old's help, because he couldn't lift them. A girl's help to lift the heavy gold. Yeah. This is something else that Ash and Elena say. No adult is ever going to need your help. No adult is going to go up to a kid, a random child, and be like, I need your help. They never need your help. That's where you go, fuck no, and And you run run away. They don't need your help. 
I, you, how do you even buy that? This, these packages are so heavy. I'm, I'm a man. I can't lift them. But this 14-year-old girl can. Yeah. I don't understand. No. So, however, John picked up the packages. <laughs> and just fine. Just he didn't fine. need any help. No forehanded and, or nothing. No. no. And he took them out of the room and then left her in the dungeon for about a half an hour. Because he's got her in there. So he's like, okay, good. Don't need the props anymore. We'll take those out. You stay here. He then later came in carrying a bag. And he asked Barbara what was on her feet. He couldn't just look and see what was on her feet? So she looked down. And while she's looking down at her feet, you know what this makes me think of? It's like, oh, what's that on your shirt? Yeah. Yeah. While she's looking down on her feet, he pulled a chain from the bag, snapped it onto the lock and onto her ankle and chained her to the floor. Wow. That's when Barbara began to scream. So John tried to tell her that he was working with others and the whole story, but she was not stopping screaming at all. So he gave her three pills to sedate sedate her. P.S. If you haven't noticed, we're still recording at night. Yeah. I can't speak then. So he, although it was, it was like prescribed medication to make her sleepy so it knocked her the fuck out great um so when she came to she realized that she'd been stripped naked and he had taken her clothes so john took photos of her using a polaroid (laughs) and then he told her that he needed the photos for his boss who is now overseas And then he said that she was eventually going to be sold to someone in another country. So a few days later, he unchained her and gave her a sweatshirt to wear. He told her that she could not leave the dungeon. He told her that she would be doing things each day. One, having sex with him. Two, drinking a gallon of water. He goes from... What? I told you. Oh my, I told you it's can't. not the same. I can't. It's not the same. He's giving her a gallon of water that she has to drink daily. Amy was getting a bottle of water every couple days. And now this girl has to drink a gallon a day. Yeah. So Barbara refused to kiss him and even tried to fight him. But of course, he overpowered her because he didn't need help lifting packages. He gave her a calendar and told her to write down when they had sex And when she finished drinking the water, he actually started taking a syringe and taking blood from her that he said was used to test for diseases. What was it actually used for? Nope. That's all I know. (laughs) (laughs) That is all I know. That's all I know. So he let her, he later like gave her blankets and hygiene products. And then he brought a radio for her to listen to. And then he started letting her write to her family. So then he started showing her photos of her mother and her two siblings and told her that if his bosses heard anything about her not cooperating, they were going to kill her family. So, of course, she started getting depressed. Um, She actually found herself 
burning herself with cigarettes that he ended up giving her. Oh, my. I think that maybe that was what changed his mind. So he tied the girl's hands and feet together with a rope, took her out of the dungeon and into the backyard. This is where she got, like, her first fresh of breath air because, remember, it's not ventilated down there, um, in months. Oh, my God. And then right after that, he took her back downstairs into the dungeon. So one day, without any notice, he told Barbara that she was going to be released. He just came down and was like, okay. He said that he had convinced the bosses to let her go because he's such an awesome guy. He gave her back some clothes and they went to the yard. They got in his car. He placed her in the front seat, told her to get down on the floor so no one would see her. Less than an hour later, he pulled over, reached over, opened the door. She jumped out and John left. Is this guy ever going to be caught? Eventually. So when Barbara looked behind her, she saw that she was actually standing in front of her mother's house in Syracuse. Mind you, before this, she did not live there. After 13 months of captivity, it was over for her. Although she did not keep her secret. She told. She told her parents and they wanted to go to the police. But Barbara said no because she thought for sure that Matthew and or his bosses would come back for her. Oh my God, I'd be I'd be terrified. I would be terrified because we didn't know we don't she we doesn't don't, know that he's lying. It's again thirteen months in captivity, and he's just all that time. I mean, I can't. I don't know how long it takes to brainwash somebody. I guess everybody's different, but she's a fourteen-year-old girl. You're controlling the light. She is now depressed. She's yeah. probably. Like, freaking the hell out. She's probably delusional at this oh, point. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine this taking long. No. I And, I mean, oh, I'm guessing on teens, young teens, it's not hard to convince them of these no. stupid stories that he's giving. Yeah. It's yeah. so much, but... Especially troubled teens. Yeah, and they're troubled. And I think, yeah. honestly, I think him coming upon these teen girls who are troubled is all happenstance. He's not, like, scoping them out. Right, right, right. He hasn't been watching them. He literally is just driving around, cruising, if you will, and then sees a girl alone, nobody around, and he takes her. And it just so happens that they're both troubled teens. Yeah. I think if they weren't, things might have panned out differently. Maybe. But that's where we are going to wrap it up for part one. And now that I'm thinking about it, because that's not initially where we were going to wrap up, um, there was a lot more to come, but we are already like almost an hour and a half in. So um, we'll we'll stop there and we'll come back next week and maybe we can finish it off. I'm hoping to not drag this out on part three, but it's so bizarre that I literally, and he's not being consistent. No. That's the thing. So, it's like you don't know what's going to happen next because I feel like he's just making it up as he goes. He is. And that's why I can't say, oh, he got Barbara and did the same thing. He didn't. No. He's no, just like. The same as taking the bunker. Yeah. And he took her that's clothes. It. Yeah. Locked her to the floor. That's it. That's Otherwise, it. it's like, what is happening? I don't understand. It's just. It's the craziest yeah, thing. Yeah. It is the craziest thing. So come back next week for part two of The Man with the Sex Dungeon. That's not what I'm naming this. 
Um, I I am going to name it John Jamelski just because there are multiple children victims like we talked about. Yeah. Um, I I'm not going to name it. I was going to name it the girls, but I decided not you to do name that. Name it Germs. Germs. Maybe I'll do John Germs yes. Jamelski. Yes. Um, at this point, I could call it John Germs Luther, Luther Matthew, Matthew Jamelski. So much. <laughs> Oh, and his middle name is actually Thomas. Oh, we got to throw Thomas in there. Oh, my gosh. So, until then, find and contact us on our socials and meet us every Friday when the clock strikes 1.13 for a new episode. And as always, make sure you stay alert, stay salty, and stay intact. Those girls really should have been salty. Yeah. But. Yeah. It would have served them well. It would have served them yeah. well. Oh, my gosh. Bye. Bye. That's a great story. (laughs) See you next episode.